this is a good day as any to start the rebuilding of life. This is Jennifer Weiss. My sister Leah Weiss and I welcome you to our Grand Rounds podcast, Season One Purpose in a Pandemic Two Sisters Asking Life's Big Questions. So, how have you been? What's on your mind, John? Um, a little bit of craziness. I am scatterbrained and I'm actually coming into this conversation kind of wanting to be scatterbrained um, because I want to be kind of a transparent uh, person in sharing how it feels to be me right now. How does it feel to be you right now? It feels so good to laugh with my sister because <laughs> it feels like I want to scream and I want to cry so many times, but right now it's just so awesome to connect with you and, and laugh and um, also to tell my family to stop screaming in the background because I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Glad the um, listeners get an experience of being screamed at by you. <laughs> I think I will not edit that out because I think they would love that. Much like I was operating with a really awesome resident a couple of months ago and he went to do something in surgery that certainly wasn't dangerous, but it was not what I wanted him to do. (laughs) It was very safe. Um, But the words that came out of my mouth were, no, 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 no. (laughs) He looked at me and I said, well, congratulations. You're the first resident that I have ever said that to in that way, that is normally reserved for my children. And he was like, I'm very pleased to have earned that designation. Did you take away a screen time? <laughs> I took away the knife for a minute. Um, no, I didn't actually, we got to march right along. Um, so I uh, emailed and texted and called you last week. This is how it goes with us, by the way, because Um, Leah is quite sought after these days um, and always, but she's busy. Um, And it's funny because I'm, I'm busy, Um, but like 10 times busier. (laughs) I'm just 10 times more avoidant of of communication. Correct. Leah's much better boundary than me. Um, So I started harassing you uh, because I did my first shift in the COVID ICU. about two weeks ago. And um, I was stupid in a lot of ways because I was scheduled to get my second dose of my vaccine on a Thursday morning. And then it also turned around and volunteered for a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift in the ICU, um, which was to be my first shift there since internship. and uh, definitely um, I overextended myself. Um, and the way that it went was incredibly overwhelming on all fronts. Um, I arrived to uh, the ICU where I do go, I do take care of patients in the ICU as an orthopedic surgeon. 
Um, but during COVID, what we're doing in our organization and many others is the physicians who aren't uh, incredibly busy doing our own line of work these days, which is dampened because we're all leaning in for COVID, um, are redeploying and going to different places in the hospital to help out the physicians that are entirely overwhelmed. Um, for instance, in the emergency room and in the intensive care unit. So um, I arrived at my shift and was met with uh, an, a physician who's a critical care doctor. He's married to another critical care doctor. And when I tell you this guy deserves a cape, I can't begin to describe him. Um, he was there um, mentally as well as he was physically, he was there emotionally. He, he received me um, with, he had printed out a list of the patients. He was just so open and supportive and grateful for, I was the first orthopedic surgeon uh, to go do an overnight shift. And he was just, he was like, I can't believe you guys are doing this. Thank you. Um, and as we went through rounds in the ICU and learned about the patients, um, on top of all the other work that he was doing, uh, taking care of many sick people, all, almost all on ventilators, um, and uh, running his team of nurses and respiratory therapists, he also had the capacity to keep checking in with me um, keep checking in, not just about the information and the tasks that I was trying to take off of his plate, but he also had the capacity to check in with me after he would say something like, we don't expect this patient to make it through the night. He would look at me and he would say, hey, I know this is a lot to hear right now. Um, I couldn't believe it that he had that uh, capacity. Um, and as the night went on, uh, the nurses um, were also in that mode at the beginning of the night. But as the night went on, a couple of things happened. Um, one is I started to get um, side effects from the vaccine. So I started developing a fever and chills and um, I was starting to become kind of physically a hot mess. And also, um, the uh, nursing team was becoming more familiar with me. So they were asking me to step in for patient care that was less within my uh, wheelhouse, um, which led to me having to reach out to the other physician and him just being there in a way that I just, I still can't get over. And he also recognized that I was looking more and more of a hot mess and finally like sent me um, away to go um, answer calls um, as I could and, and, um, and try and recoup a little bit. Um, but that experience just of number one, absorbing the sick patients that we all know about, um, but experiencing side by side with one of these physicians who is just uh, up to his eyeballs, quite frankly, as is his wife, um, just hit me in an entirely new way with respect for my colleagues, as well as just being so grateful that I had that second dose of vaccine in my arm and that the country was gonna be experiencing that too. Um, which brings me to a question for you, which is um, I wanted to ask how you are uh, feeling about our mother having gotten her vaccine. You know, 
that's um, incredible what you're describing and, and um, it's a good lesson to all the listeners out there who like me don't answer your phones that maybe we can revisit answering our phones a little bit more. Um, uh, amazing to hear about what you've been doing the last few weeks and um, and the impact that it's had on you. Um, yeah, and you know, having I can imagine, you know, our mom who's got underlying stuff, like many people in their seventies, um, and the pure hypochondriasis. Yeah, coupled with that, um, and you know, seeing these people in acute situations and worrying about our loved ones, and I think this is something. Um, you know, I think a lot about of, uh, that there's some need for compartmentalizing so you and others like you can do the work that you need to do, but then you also are a daughter and a mother and a sister um, and worrying about everybody around you and their health um, on top of the work that, that you're in there doing. Um, so I don't know. I mean, for me, I... I worry about mom. I worry about the loneliness too. And, and I also worry about, you know, the, the challenges that um, people who live alone have been experiencing for all these months and um, the choices that people make about how, what quarantining looks like for them and the trade-offs. Um, so I massively, relieved that mom got her first shot and been super worried about her. The shot I was, you know, reading some of these pieces in the New York Times that are coming out about, you know, what's going to happen with different classes of people who've been vaccinated and, um, and it'll, what will the implications be for how it will form classes of people um, and who can do things. And, and then, you know, coupled with this morning, the headline that came out that the South African strain doesn't seem as well covered by this vaccination. So research on a booster happening and, you know, everybody who's more informed on this topic than I am seems to be saying we're going to be in some version of chasing after this thing for a long time to come. So it's just like hard to even make sense of of all of it and the equity issues and and then the fact of like you don't want waste. We have cousins in Israel and um, you know, we had been hearing stories there about the pizza delivery person getting a vaccine when there's extra ones in the batch, you know, for people not showing up, you just find an arm and put it in. But we haven't really been having those conversations here as much, or I haven't seen them in my house where I don't leave or in the news. But maybe I know you have been talking about that more. So maybe you can share more. I just have a bazillion questions, clearly, um, in no topical order. <laughs> so uh, an interesting um, piece is um, much of my information about COVID comes from being a physician. Um, and I'm part of the sort of chain of command that gets a lot of information from my organization. However, also much of my information comes from Nana. And <laughs> she um, has um, raised to my awareness that here in California, um, that what you were talking about in Israel um, has been happening a little bit. Um, and um, she had some friends uh, in her uh, 
in her age group who were able to get vaccines in the same way that you were just describing. Um, and she was very proud of them and very jealous. Um, what are your thoughts now and how are you feeling? A word that a lot of people I've been talking to lately keep using is exhausted. And you can probably hear in my voice, I'm also feeling exhausted. And then of course, feeling absurd about feeling exhausted because I've gone like nowhere in almost a year now. And, you know, I'm talking to someone who's spending time in the COVID uh, ICU. Um, but, you know, I'm curious how what you're seeing on the front line and you know what in terms of people's energy level and uh, for someone like this that you were working with like how energetic does he seem and how did it influence you yeah i'm curious what your thoughts are on this general exhaustion many of us are grappling with well first of all i i agree that people who haven't been leaving their homes um are incredibly exhausted and like my patients that do have to come in to see me for a face-to-face -face visit. We now call it that. We don't call it a visit. We call it a face-to-face -face because our go-to is virtual so much of the time. Um, they say that they're like, oh my God, it's so weird to be out of my house. It is exhausting to like figure out how to park my car and go to a new place. They're overwhelmed. Um, and um, the exhaustion, it's interesting. Um, I actually stopped. So this doctor that I was telling you about, um, at about, I don't know, one in the morning, I stopped and I looked at him and I said, I know you know this, but the way you are leading your team here is incredible because so many doctors are just shut off and depersonalized and just going through the motions, but you're not. And you, I can tell the people around you are feeling that energy from you. Um, he's, uh, I, I asked him, you know, is there anything that you think makes you this way? And he said, I'm not that way. He was just a very humble, humble guy. Um, but he did say thank you. Cause he said, you know, I forget how important that piece is and having somebody new around um, to remind me of that just, you know, made me happy. Um, I felt like he had a cup that needed to be filled a little bit. Um, so just the little like expressions of, hey, thank you. Um, another interesting piece in terms of exhaustion is our medical assistants in my office. Um, so they're not nurses, they're medical assistants have been redeployed um, to the hospital as something called helping hands. And um, a lot of technicians around the hospital have done that. And so they, they're there to help um, the nurses and the team. And one of our medical assistants who is an incredibly positive young woman, um, <clears throat> shared on her social media that um, uh, she was exhausted and I reached out to her and it turned out that her uh, task in the hospital was bagging bodies. And so she is, um, that's not what she signed up for as a medical assistant, nor did we, the people who work with her, um, Mentor is a strong word to use, but to have a relationship with her as I'm her doc and she's one of the medical assistants, there's a very special relationship there. Um, and she's not around her, her doc, and I'm making quotation marks around that, as she's doing this work. Um, she's a strong woman, she's getting through it, but I'm thinking about her and the other people like her who are then going to come back on the other side of 
COVID to do their jobs that they are used to, but there's going to be a layer to them that I need to remember, our organization needs to remember, they need to remember. Um, PTSD is a word that, you know, is floating around in my mind, but whatever version of, uh, this is traumatic um, for society and for different people playing these different roles. And so, yeah, that's a whole different level of exhaustion. And I, I, I want to figure out a way to make that into an appreciation for her, um, for all the people that have done stuff like that, and to hopefully translate it into a joy of what we normally get to do in our lives when we're not doing that. Um, I think those are going to be some conversations I'm going to lean in with you and, and pull some guests in to talk to us about how to do that. Yeah, it seems like a really important point you're raising about you know, sometimes when people are in the thick of the traumatic situations, people cope. I mean, that's it's like what happens and it can be afterwards um, when trying to process what's what's happened and not having the support um and yeah it seems like the really important time to make sure people get that i've definitely seen that in the context of working with veterans with post-traumatic stress like when you're at war you get through what you need to do to survive um and it's afterwards when you go home and you're with your kids and you're trying to be in your family that um that for many people, that's when it really flares. Um, so it sounds like a wise idea to make sure that there's a plan in place and support in place for these folks. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it makes me think too that people keep asking the question to me lately in interviews around like, yeah, mental health is really important now during COVID, but do you think it'll stay uh, a priority afterwards? And, you know, for me, what I keep coming back to is it's going to have to, because it's, it's not like as soon as we get through this phase of intensive pandemic response that everybody's going to, we're all going to be coming out like your patient who's like, wait, how do I drive? How do I park? Like talking to people, let alone making sense of, the rest of this. Um, so I like this idea for future conversation. Maybe we can plan to have a, like, what, what does it mean to lead in this, um, you know, through this trauma and then to set in place what's going to be needed um, and on the next phases as well. I am so grateful uh, that we found a small uh, spot of time today for us to connect. Um, Thank you for making me laugh really hard <laughs> and I love you. And I know you have your day to get back to, and I do too. And um, I'll talk to you later, my dear sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. I'll answer your call next time. <laughs> love you. Bye. And this was all about guilt for our listeners. This was yeah. all about sister guilt. It works. <laughs> love you. This is Jennifer Weiss, my sister Leah Weiss, and I thank you for joining us again for our podcast, Grand Rounds, and we hope to connect again soon.